some very interesting research has shown that out of every 24 hours we have each day, critically, we only have two hours of superb thinking time. This is episode 131 on The Herpreneur Show. Today, we're joined with Dr. Jenny Brockus, author of Thriving Minds, How to Cultivate a Great Life. Enjoy. Welcome to The Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. Ladies, if you are a high-performing female entrepreneur, and let's face it, most of us are, today we have an incredible lady that is going to be sharing with us how to really thrive in life, but without the burnout, and how to really have more peace and happiness, and as her book says, how to cultivate a good life. Today, we have Dr. Jenny Brockers. She specializes in high-performance thinking. She's a medical practitioner. She's a board-certified lifestyle medicine physician and an expert in brain fitness. She's an author of four books, including the bestseller, Future Brain, and ladies, today we're going to be diving in deep to her book that I have in my hands called Thriving Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Annette. Thank you for having me on. Now, where are you in this beautiful world? I know the answer myself, but <laughs> let's just share it with the ladies. Where do you live in this beautiful land of Australia? I'm on Watch Up Country. Uh, I'm actually in Perth. And I've lived in Perth for probably three decades now. You can probably tell from the accent. I'm originally from the UK. Um, there are some things that you don't let go of. <laughs> <laughs> Your mum would be happy anyway. Yeah, yeah she's very happy. <laughs> um, but lived in this beautiful town of or city of Perth for a long time. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about the high achieving woman. We have women on that are incredible business women. Some are in the startup, they still are needing to own that they are a businesswoman. And we've got some women that are really in, you know, that beautiful growth stage. There's a thing that happens with all of us, I find, that we're juggling home, we're juggling business, we're bringing in the cash and there's continual burnout that can happen and we go from thriving on natural joy to probably thriving on adrenaline and burning out. And I'd really love to dig deep into your book today and really talk about that. Um, what's some of your experiences with women in business when it comes to why do we do this? Why are we burning the wick at two ends? <laughs> That's a very good analogy because it's just exactly how it feels sometimes. <laughs> Um, I think it's because as women, we have a natural tendency to do everything because we're, we're in a number of different roles. And whether you're an entrepreneur or, or not, I think we have this drive to make sure that everybody else is okay before mm. we attend to our own selves at all. And it's interesting, um, in the entrepreneurial world, I know that some people have said, oh, you're an entrepreneur, Jenny. And I'm thinking, am I? 
really? I mean, I've done a few things, but does that make me an entrepreneur? What is an entrepreneur? I guess it's it's someone who has set up their own business because they want to do things their way and do it in the way that they know is going to be of greatest value to other people, as mm. well as create a viable business. So if, if that's the definition of entrepreneur, yes, I fit into that. Um, but I think high achieving is something that comes from within. Mm. Um, not all entrepreneurs burn out, which is a relief to know. Um, <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> uh, but a lot of them um, are potentially at risk because we are very high achieving, mm-hmm. dedicated, committed to making something work and work well. And we, we sign up for the hard work, the long hours, the expectation that it's not going to be easy. And we just keep pushing on. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, we're not so good at reading the road signs that say danger, yes. cliff edge ahead. Yeah. And we can, just keep going. Can we talk about that? Because I think it starts as this, um, and I've been there, so I know it so well, where it starts off as you want to conquer the world and, you know, you're out there and you've got the ideas and you're driving, you're doing the marketing, you're doing the sales, you're doing everything. And then... If you don't quickly start to get other people on to outsource to help you, then we're juggling a lot of plates. And I noticed that for me, when I didn't take that opportunity, because when I was in the startup phase, I felt like I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to have somebody at that stage when really I couldn't afford not to. I I needed to have somebody. But then the anxiety, the anxiousness, the depression, the weight gain, all these things start to build up. What needs to happen for us to stop that agony if we are in that position right now or to stop it so it doesn't come up? It comes down to self-awareness and I think Mm. that's the piece that's very difficult to appreciate when you're in that space Mm. because we've, we've We've, we come from a, a sort of background. We've often been nurtured by our parents and other people around us to believe that's the way to success. That's what you have to do in order yeah. to succeed. Um, but unless we can actually press pause for long enough to step back and go, hey, hang on a minute, what's mm. going on? Why do I feel like this all the time? Where has the joy gone? Because that's exactly what I experienced um, in, in my episode of burnout. When mm-hmm. I first started up my group general practice I was beyond joyful I was so happy I had my own building where I could build this practice and be with you know of service to other people and work with other people that I really liked and who hopefully liked me (laughs) and I I put everything into it forgetting that there's actually more to life. And I think the, the, the biggest issue is for mm. um, high achievers in, in this position is that we we lose sight of the other things that actually really, so really true. like relationships. Yeah. Uh, how many people do you know where the relationships are broken, they've gone through divorce mm-hmm. or they've separated? Uh, and of course, if children are involved and there's all that agony as well. And And I had the realization at one point, because I had two small kids at the time, that I wasn't seeing my husband and I wasn't seeing my children. And Mm -hmm. then I had this dichotomy. I had this work, which I absolutely adored, was passionate about and really dedicated towards. And I had this 
family over the other side that I really felt that I wasn't um, connected to. And yeah. I, I felt this sort of drift mm. and it was causing enormous pain, but I didn't know how to sort of rectify it. And uh, it wasn't until I fell off that cliff edge that I was able to step back and say, mm, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> what it's it's sad that some of us have to be hit by the two by four. I was I hit know. by the two by four. And then <laughs> the lifestyle shift changed. Yes. Yes. So it's like, how do we stop that? How do we, yes. you know, women build these businesses um, we're continually launching products, but we get sometimes get to the destination and we're not fulfilled. And I'd love to go into this with your book because you talk about the importance of fulfillment and we create these situations where we think we're fulfilled, but when we get there, we're not. Mm. So what do we have to do to work that out? Like how do we know what fulfillment is for each of us? I think there's, there's two things going on. One is that we forget to celebrate when we do actually achieve something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've spoken with many um, women in high positions, CEOs, senior executives, and the realisation that, you know, when they are asked to reflect on, well, what have you done over the last 12 months? They sort of pause for 30 seconds and then mm-hmm. they start reeling it all off. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's a yeah. lot of things. And I say, okay, well, how did you celebrate all those? And then there's a sort of slightly awkward pause because they realised they didn't. They were so busy focusing on what's it's, next. What's what's next. next. Yep, that's it. So that's the next question. How can you feel fulfilled if you never stop to, to treasure that yeah. moment? It doesn't have yeah. to be anything extraordinary or huge. It's just mm. taking that little time up, oh, pat on the shoulder. Yeah. Well, kudos to me. And, you know, feel good about that. And yeah. unless we practice that, we lose the art of it. And I think that's mm. one reason why we, we stop feeling fulfilled. And the other thing, which I think is, is massive, is that we tend to surround ourselves with other people who are of similar ideology and desire to you know, conquer the world, do great things, and et cetera, et cetera, which is great because it, it lifts you up and it gives you that mm. energy and momentum to keep on going. That can be um, counterproductive because... What I've noticed is that it can create this sense of you've always got to be in hustle mode. Yeah. It's got to be looking for the next thing, doing the next, pre- preparing that next product, doing the next launch, la, 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 la. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's not sustainable and it's not that much fun, if I'm honest. <laughs> that is such um, a perfect word. It's just sustain- <laughs> it is not sustainable to continually sustainable. do that. Yeah. So mm. I think it's it's letting go of this need to always be on to the next thing and mm. say, you know what, I'm going to cut out. You know, um, so for, for so many years, I was one of these sort of, I work in 90-day blocks. And so over the next 90 days, I'm going to achieve A, B, C, D, E, F, G, X, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, okay, done that. Now, next 90 days, blah, 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 blah. There was no breathing space in Mm. between. And what I've discovered over the years, and it's taken a lot of time and practice, is... (laughs) And four books. (laughs) Writing books, right? You're learning through your books. You're like, okay. (laughs) It feels so much better when you just Mm. let go of of being on this perpetual hamster wheel. Mm. give yourself permission to step off and not just when you feel like I have to because otherwise I'm going to fall into a hand but on a regular basis so 
if I want to start work at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to start work at 10 o'clock in the morning. And rather than saying, oh, I better be up at five because that's what successful people do. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And I've got to do all these things. And it's it is nonsense. It's mm. it's it's forgetting that we're human and we do so much better, I think, when we do less. Yeah. So for me, less is so much more. I can think more clearly. I'm I have more ideas and I'm I'm more at peace with myself. And I think yeah. that's the thing that was missing for so long in my in my clinical practice years. I was raging against everything. It was mm. always like I was pushing, 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 pushing. I was not calm within. And yeah. like I said earlier, that buildup of anxiety is always there. It's eating away yeah. at you every single day. As soon as you wake up, it's ooh, there's mm. the anxiety. As soon as you get when you go to bed, whoop, it's still taking to bed with you. Yeah. It's relentless. There was something that you've said that has just made me realize. With my clients in the past, I always talk about, you know, celebrating your small wins. So every week, and we still do it with our clients now with Convert Club, where at the end of every Friday, they write down three things that they've achieved. And it can be personally, professionally, the smallest things, because we say it's the mini steps that get the big step. Now, what I realized is my husband and I built uh, that part of the business very fast. And then we started to enter awards. When I entered those awards for the business, one of them was for fast growth. One of them was for senior. It was a, it was a CEO award. And I cannot believe, I've, I've only just, this has only just dawned on me now. I bought a beautiful bottle of champagne, spent a lot of money on it. And I said to my husband, when we win, we will pop this open and we will celebrate. So we win. The first one, did we celebrate? No. The second one, did I celebrate? No. I said to him, when we get the trophy, we will pop this bottle. Please don't tell me it's still in your fridge. (laughs) It is still in a cupboard where we keep our alcohol in a little bar hidden. (laughs) It's still there. We have not celebrated these two awards for a startup business. And here we are saying to our clients, celebrate the small stuff. <laughs> and, you know, that's a pretty big thing. So it's, <laughs> that's just dawned on me now. So guess what I'm doing tonight? I'm cracking Good. it open. <laughs> I hope it tastes delicious as well. <laughs> it's going to. I read in your book, you talked about the importance of small breaks. Mm. I have designed since I had the major burnout this is a long time ago now I did say no I'm not going to start till 10 o'clock I know that I really love to exercise in the morning and I love to dance so I'm going to dance every start of the morning or go to the gym or do something because I'll show up better I'll show up happier and my energy is buzzing though I work very productively from 10 a.m to 2 30 p.m um, they're like power hours. Boom, 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 boom. I will stop to have lunch because I do intermittent fasting. So I don't eat normally until 12 o'clock. So there's always a break there. When I read in your book, the importance of mini breaks, <laughs> I failed. <laughs> Can we go into that? Why is it important for the brain, for high productivity to really have these mini breaks? What's the difference there with energy levels, with focus? First of all, if you've got a sort of four, four and a half hour 
time frame in your day when you know you are at your most productive there's nothing wrong with that okay hooray absolutely <laughs> not because if you know that you can get into that beautiful flow state mm-hmm. by keeping out all the distractions being super focused etc 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 you're fine that's that's how you've worked out what works best for you yeah I can many other people if that's not the situation and you know you're starting your day at whatever time it is and then you've got back-to-back meetings mm-hmm. all morning and then you'll be lucky to grab a lunch break and then it's back-to-back meetings all afternoon or preparing or doing whatever stuff that you do mm-hmm. um, that is when the mini breaks become essential. Uh-huh. Got it. If you're not in flow and flow is that delicious state mm-hmm. where you're totally absorbed, you've lost mm-hmm. all sense of time and you can see everything coming together and you don't want to disrupt that in any shape or form. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing stuff that you know needs to be done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then you know, because again, this is an individual thing, how long your brain can function for before it starts to go oh I'm in I need a coffee <laughs> yeah you just stop my brain is not thinking um some very interesting research has shown that out of every 24 hours we have each day critically we only have probably two hours of superb thinking time wow so knowing when that is for you and you've worked out when your super time is yeah okay um, some people know they're much better in the morning. Some people know they're much better in the afternoon. Some people work better at night. We're all different. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. working out when your best time is and then making sure that you can corral that and not have any distractions is where the works. Mm-hmm. But in between, when we've got all this other stuff, mm-hmm. the ideal time to work for before taking a little mini break, and a mini break is only five minutes, 10 mm-hmm. minutes, something like that, um, will vary depending on your level of interest in what you're doing, (laughs) Mm. Um, how important it is to get it done right now and and various other factors. But for many people, about 60 to 90 minutes is tops. And we know that doing Zoom calls where you're concentrating on this little screen, it chews up our mental energy even faster. And most people's concentration starts to dissipate after about 30 minutes. Wow. 30 minutes, we're definitely thinking about When's lunch? (laughs) We've got to remember that when we do our training calls. (laughs) Yeah. So installing that little mini break in Mm. between, and it doesn't have to be anything huge. It can be literally going to grab a glass of water. If you like tea or coffee, you could have a tea or coffee or whatever. Just Mm -hmm. getting up and going for a stretch or something because it gives your brain. Going to the bathroom for a pee. And yes, very important. I can't tell you, as doctors, we train our bladders to not have to use them. <laughs> yeah. 10 o'clock in the morning, you're thinking, yeah, I really need to go to the toilet. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're thinking, I still haven't been. Yeah, I still haven't been. <laughs> and it went away. <laughs> it could have been a perfect mini break. So mini breaks need to be taken regularly across our day mm-hmm. if we're not in that hour of power or two hours of power or whatever, mm. because it gives your brain that time to re-energize itself because mm. we only can pay really good attention for a finite amount of time before we go out of juice. Yeah. And um, particularly in the afternoon where many people say, you know, at two o'clock, three o'clock, you get that slump and you think, mm-hmm. oh, I need a muffin. I need a chocolate bar. I need something to whoop, 
giving yeah. energy, mm-hmm. basically our brain is probably um, fried, completely fried because we've been so busy all day long so far. Yeah. And yeah. A break. Mm-hmm. So there was a time uh, era before the digital transformation era that we're in now where people went to work, they started work at nine and then they had a morning tea break and then they took an hour for lunch. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> and then mm. they stopped for morning, uh, afternoon tea and then they clocked off at five, didn't think about work again until the next day. And you think, whoa, there was something in that, you know, there was definitely something <laughs> in that. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting that in France, and I love the French because I love their food, um, up until very recently, it was actually in the legislation that every employer had to give their employees one hour for lunch. Can you believe that in the, in yeah. the era? I mean, now it's gone by the wayside, so it's time for a quick croissant if you're lucky. Taking that break, mm. and especially a lunch break, is, is not only sort of feeding your body and your mm. brain, but it's giving you that time for a bit of social interaction. Maybe you're talking with some colleagues or mm-hmm. other people. You're able to move away from the desk, which I think is has become a bit of a prison in some ways because we're, mm. sort of like we're chained to it yeah. all that long if we're not careful. Would so just be, would, would, would a break still count if you go to the gym? Because yeah. I remember when I used to have an hour lunch break, this is when I stopped working in health clubs and I started doing sales training and I'd have an hour break in the office yeah. and I wouldn't know what to do for an hour. And I thought, well, I might as well just <laughs> put my workouts in, in my lunch break. Yeah. Is, is that still counted as a break? Like it's, it's a brain break, isn't it? And it brings what the serotonin back up and totally. yes. yeah, full reset. That's, that's a great way to spend some time in the middle of the day. I mean, yes, mm. have something to eat, but also getting outside, going for a walk, um, just spending yes. time outside in the you know sunshine, looking at the trees or whatever, or yeah. going to do some exercise in a gym is perfect as a break. Mm. And mm. you come back, it's like going for a little mini holiday. You come back feeling more refreshed, more energized, and you're like, oh, well, let's bring on the afternoon. It feels great. <laughs> you talk about in your book about... Um, instant boosters <laughs> and one thing you spoke about which was the importance of music and how music plays such an important role in well-being it reminded me of when sometimes I do play music in um, throughout our house so my husband can hear it in his office upstairs and there is such a difference in how I finish the day there really is. Um, we don't do it when we've got training on. So, yeah, I'm thinking to myself, it'd be really good to be aware of those, those important breaks that we might have where we don't have anything on for an hour as in training or cameras or podcasts and stick that music on mm. because there is a difference. Can we get into that? How is it that music plays such a big role for us? Well, they think that music actually was something that humans used even before we had language as a way of expression uh-huh. of revealing how we feel. And, of course, it's involved um, often with, with dance. And I noticed mm-hmm. you said before you love to dance. I love to dance. So <laughs> presumably you're dancing to music unless you've got something playing in your head. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely playing play the music. <laughs> 
and I could dance in my head. I definitely could still <laughs> pull out a routine and have the music in my head. Done that plenty of times before. <laughs> I, I think the beauty of music is that it gives your brain a total workout because mm. we, it lights up so many different regions um, because you're you're listening to the music. You're if it's music that's familiar and let's let's be honest, we all well, I do, sing along to our favourite tune. It's, you know, if favourite mm-hmm. tune comes on the radio, if you're driving, crank goes up the volume and you're bellowing it out, hoping yeah. you don't really care if anybody's watching. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you're just so in the zone, you're like, I'm just going to sing. I don't care if anyone sees me. <laughs> and it's when your children in the backseat go, Mom, do you have to do that now? <laughs> but it's, but it's, a, it's a great workout for your brain because you're using all these different areas. And... Um, we can use it to influence our mood enormously. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you have certain um, uh, pieces of music that you love because it just makes you feel calm or wonderful or happy, mm. then playing that music on a regular basis shifts your mental state and puts mm. you in that more positive mood. And we know that when you are in a more positive mood, you're more open-minded, you're more generous, you're more mm. appreciative, you're more creative, Everything gets better when you're in that happier state. Let's be permanently smiling all the time because we might some might lock you up and put you in the funny farm. But <laughs> I think we all benefit from a little bit of a lift from time to mm. time. And if music gives you that lift, use it. We mm. can do it the opposite way too. I mean, sometimes if you're feeling a bit low or sad, putting on a really sort of soulful piece of music can yeah. just take you to that other place which is fine for a short time as well because Mm -hmm. our emotional state really just reflects how we are at this particular moment yeah it's Mm. a temporary state but it's it's interesting how we can manipulate it if you like or or change it I just love this there's something really interesting what you've said there which is you said it makes us more joyful. It makes us more creative. And if you think, if we're going through some type of a product launch or let's just say, you know, you're writing a book or one of the the women listening, they're they're wanting to write a blog or they're, they're needing to create copy or they're needing to create a newsletter. And I don't know how many times women, you know, we in business, we, we have to do the newsletter, have to do the newsletter. Sometimes you just got this writer's block. This is a great way to really just, like you said, manipulate the mood to then be able to boost that joyfulness, to be able to then open up the mind and find that big creative download. Um, That is really powerful. Mm. And it's interesting. I first noticed it when I was working with um, a business mentor and I noticed how he always before I would turn up, because I would go and see him face to face, this is mm-hmm. pre-COVID, obviously, um, was he always had music on that he loved before mm-hmm. we started. He would turn it off while, while we were you know, having our, our session. And he always used music. He used it in his trainings mm-hmm. so that, you know, if we were sort of given something to do, mm-hmm. uh, a piece of work to work on, he would put music on softly in the background. And for years, I had arguments with our children about, should you listen to music while you're doing your homework? You know, how many parents do you hear saying, well, they always want to listen to things on their headphones. Um, 
And I was one of those parents and saying, oh, no, 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 you've got to take those headphones off. You've got to do it in peace and quiet. Well, I was brought up to do it that way. So it works for me. Mm-hmm. But many people find that if they're listening to music that they're familiar with, that doesn't have um, lots of complicated lyrics, business mm-hmm. music, yeah, actually is something that's very useful to help you to focus and feel good at the same time. Wow. This conversation's just gone to a completely different level because <laughs> in our in, in the training that I've done when it was all face to face and in seminars, so seminars, I would always have when we open up the doors and people walk in, we have a specific song. It's an energy song. It's a happy song. It's a vibrant song. When I walk on stage, there's always a song that we play. So for me, it's like a trigger. It just, it just snaps me into a psychological and physical state. And then the music that we use throughout the seminars in the afternoon when they're sort of getting a bit, you know, spaced out, they might be doing a sugar low, the music always has to have sing-along words and more of a basic sing-along, like you were saying, and not instrumental because the instrumental we notice sort of spaces them out a little bit. So um, that's, just, that's just brought me back into seminars and the great thing is we're starting a seminar again now everything's opened in Australia and we can all travel again so July oh my gosh I can't wait to get face to face with people I'm a big hugger and a big people person so it's just gonna be so nice to step away from the oh yes and we'll be pumping that music I would love to know um you you were a GP you had a GP practice and then you went into a lifestyle medicine physician. What is the difference there? Um, well, as as a, a Western medicine trained doctor, I was trained to think in a certain way, um, operate mm-hmm. in a certain way. So it, in my GP practice, you know, people came in to see me because they were sick, la, 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 la. Um, and you would make a diagnosis, you would suggest a treatment plan, and they hopefully they would go do that and then get better. Mm-hmm. Um, what I realized over a period of time is that this was even before I had my burnout. I knew that a lot of my patients Mm. came to see me for certain things, but for other things, they went to see their naturopath or their Uh, osteopath or their chiropractor mm -hmm. or their herbologist. Mm -hmm. And I was curious. I thought, what are they getting from them that they're not getting from me? Mm. And it took a while to, to, to work this out. And I realized that the biggest thing was time. Uh, if I, as a GP, you're always time pressured because you've mm-hmm. got people in the waiting room, they're all sick, they want to come and see you, la, la, la. Whereas with the other um, allied health practitioners, they had longer sessions with their clients. Mm-hmm. And just feeling heard fully about mm-hmm. what is going on in your life allows Mm. the practitioner to then get a a more holistic picture. So lifestyle medicine is about lifestyle and it's similar in many ways to integrated medicine. So Mm. your health practitioner has also seen the light Mm -hmm. that traditional Western medicine has a lot missing from it. So lifestyle is about primarily prevention. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in what keeps you well. Yeah, I want to know what boosts you, what gives you strength, 
because then you're in a much better place to fight off infection, illness, um, bullying, or whatever else is going on in your life, um, because it, it nurtures you to be the stronger version of who you are, mm. physically, mentally, and emotionally. So lifestyle is all about prevention first. Mm -hmm. If somebody does develop uh, a condition, maybe they have got anxiety or depression or something stress-related that's also causing illness, because a lot of our illness is stress-related, um, I want to dive into, well, how are you sleeping at the moment? Mm. Uh, what's your diet like? I mean, for many of us in COVID, <laughs> the, the, the dietary patterns changed a little bit. You know, the fridge was far too close to our extended arm when we were working <laughs> on the kitchen bench. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, our sleep pattern was a bit disrupted. Our, our, our ability to be physically active changed because, you know, the gym was closed or whatever. Yeah. And so everything was turned upside down and disrupted. And it's when you have those sort of healthy habits which have been changed, it's much harder to put them back into place. And that can then lead to other things developing. So a lifestyle medicine physician always looks at a person in a holistic viewpoint, yeah. viewpoint and wants to know about all these different facets of your life. Mm. Um, not to be nosy, but just to get a sense of what could be contributing to what you're currently experiencing and then look at lifestyle ways to change that round so that mm. you get better more quickly. And, and what's really interesting is that uh, slowly, uh, it's taken a long time, is that mainstream medicine is starting to appreciate just how important this stuff is. That's I mean, right. it's fundamentally basic because we're, we're mm. looking after our biology and our psychology, mm. and yet it hasn't been featured as, as a need. And, you know, just going back to the COVID thing again, we have managed to deal most effectively with COVID by finding what? A vaccine, something mm. to prevent us from getting the infection or reducing the severity of the illness. Mm. So prevention first, because for, for so long, I always felt like I was sticking a Band-Aid on an axe wound and I wasn't looking at what had caused the hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. yeah. So studying lifestyle medicine enabled me to sort of understand what had contributed to that wound developing in the first place. And I didn't need the Band-Aid anymore because the person themselves was able to to start to sort it out with my support. So a lifestyle medicine practitioner is actually more of a guide, uh, a mentor. We, we're not so, well, you've got to do this, take three pills three times a day. Yes, yeah. It it's sounds very similar to like an integrative medicine doctor or functional very medicine. Very much, very much. Probably yes. just slightly different labels. <laughs> and yeah. um, so it's, it's interesting how where there's been this big shift, and I think there's been a big demand for it as well. Mm. Because... We know that, you know, consuming too many antibiotics and stuff. Sorry, I've got a lot of topic here. <laughs> it's, <laughs> good good, it's all interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we now know that, uh, and it's been introduced in the UK and it's been introduced here, that for too long, people who mm. were turning up to the GP saying, oh, I'm horribly depressed, I'm in a really bad spot, can you help me? The first thing that you'd be given was a prescription yeah. for antidepressant. Mm. Not so fast now. We now are encouraged to say, what I really would like to do is address 
how you're sleeping, get you outside into some fresh air and sunshine, and to look at your diet, because all these factors play a huge role in how we feel and how we show, yeah. show up. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's going back to the basics, really. Yeah, so good. <laughs> you go from a, a GP, you've got your own practice, you then did not a sharp right term, but it was just the next evolution. When did the authoring of books start? What was that journey for you? Was it just an idea? Was it a message that you felt like you had to get out there? Just go through that book, um, the author journey. So having having left general practice because I lost my business from the burnout episode, um, and I was sort of I took my gap year to recover, and then it was like, well, what do, what the heck do I do now? Um, because my whole life had been about just being a a doctor, mm. um, and it took me a few years to work out that I was really uh, more interested in the prevention side of thing, hence studying lifestyle medicine and neuroscience and all that stuff, which gets me very excited. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, I thought, oh, blogging sounds a good thing to do. So I decided to uh, start writing a weekly blog. It took me a week to write that first blog. Uh-huh. It was 500 words. It was so painful. It was... <laughs> I couldn't believe it. it took me a whole week to do this one small piece of writing. And then I had to press the button to send it off into the cyber webs, which was very scary because I thought, oh, now what happens? Somebody might read it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd always enjoyed writing. Which you got over that thing four books later. Yes. <laughs> and I just got into the habit of sitting down once a week to write a blog. Mm. And I did that for a little while. And after a period of time, I realized I had all these blogs because I'd also created a website um, about brain health and high performance thinking and stuff. And I thought, "Hmm, perhaps I could use those blogs as the basis for a book, which is what Uh. I did for my first book. So that first book was written still very much with my doctor's hat on um, because it was called Brain Fit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I remember that book. Do you? My husband really? got given. My oh, husband got given that book. This is years ago now. Yeah, this he got ago. given that book as a present. Oh wow! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's why when I saw that you authored that, I thought it, it rang back true. Like it, it was like, oh my gosh, how's yes. this for serendipity? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So I self-published that. Um, and that was a steep learning curve, but hey, it was it was interesting. It was fun. Um, and then I wrote another book, which was called Brain Smart. And again, I self-published and it was a slight. And I think by then my writing had improved a little bit. So it was slightly more readable. <laughs> well, I hope so anyway. And then um, it was it was through my business mentor at that time. I was given the opportunity to stand on a stage in front of a whole group of HR people, L&D professionals, um, general managers, and some book publishers. And part of the agreement was to have a place on that stage, which was a bit like a TED talk, you had to have a book to give out to all the people in the audience. Yes. So it was Jenny. 
get writing, I want a book. I don't care what's between the covers, but just have that book on the table to give out to people. So I wrote the book, uh, Future Brain, and it was terrible. It was absolutely awful because it was, I'd, I'd had no time to think it through properly. And it literally was the meat in the sandwich, but the meat had gone off a bit. <laughs> But wasn't okay. that you end up you being your bestseller? So I'd love to hear how you turn that around. Well, serendipity came in the form of a beautiful lady from the Wiley Publishing House. And I said, I remember having the conversation with her saying, I'd love you to have a copy of this book. It's my first draft. And <laughs> she took it. And I didn't hear anything for six months. And I thought, oh, yeah. you were like, oh, she hated it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she came back to me and she said, Jenny, I think there's something in this book, but it needs to be completely rewritten. And I thought, well, yes, I would agree with you about that. <laughs> she said, um, if you're prepared to do that, I will be prepared to put it on the table for the team because that's how they select the books that they're going to publish. Once a month, they sit down with all the books in front of them on a table and they go through each and every one before deciding on the two that they're going to take on. Wow. And, and Future Brain got selected. And from there, it was... Uh, an amazing journey because it's so different from self-publishing. I think it's it's almost gone full circle again though because with with COVID and everything, the publishing uh -huh. have really done it tough. Um, but it meant that the book was distributed um, in all the bookstores around mm -hmm. Australia. It got into New Zealand. It was translated into Chinese and Thai. And I was thinking, how did that happen? Because... <laughs> Wiley is is a global company. Isn't so that incredible to see that your book yeah. is in all yeah. these different languages? It was it was quite incredible. Mm. Um, I actually managed to get hold of a copy in Chinese, and I remember flicking it through, and I'm thinking, I wonder how they've translated this because I've got no idea. I can't read it. <laughs> was that at a stage where you actually felt like you had really made it? Like, was there a feeling there, like, wow? my book's being published in how many different languages? Like for me, that would have to be a confirmation of, I don't know, of you, you've hit a precipice of success in some area. Like never dawned on me. It felt weird more than anything else because wow. I was thinking, this is just me, little me, um, passionate about what I do and, truly believing that you know that things can be so much better and when we empower ourselves to do so much more we can all be so much more so I had a big global message but then to realize that it actually was having this ripple effect around the planet was mm. about whoa um I'm not so sure how I feel about this but it was it was a wonderful feeling too and I'm so deeply grateful to all the people that that enabled this because it's mm -hmm. not just me writing a book it was so much more than that um, and I think that's true for anybody who achieves what their notion of success is it's obviously what you do yourself but it's the people around you yeah watered you picked you up when things have gone a bit pear-shaped and sort of spoken those words of encouragement like so so proud of what you've done and um, please keep going because it's so important yeah I, I remember in my early speaking days, because I'm quite an introverted person, and I had to learn how to speak in public. 
And one of my first ever gigs was in Queensland in front of a whole bunch of doctors. My worst nightmare, <laughs> I have to say, because they are somewhat judgmental. Um, so anyway, I found myself on this stage thinking, why did I ever think this was a good idea? And delivered my, my, my op- it was the opening keynote to the conference as well. Wow. And can I just, is this now your published author? Is this at this stage? Okay, yeah. So they want you on, you're a published author, you do amazing stuff with neuroscience, here you've got your book out, and now they've asked you to jump on stage. So now you are the specialist, the expert. So, yeah. In the limelight. Yeah. And and normally I'm the person who runs away from the limelight. Give it to someone else, please. So I'm there in the spotlight thinking, hmm. And uh, they, they gave feedback after the conference. Which is, which is normal. Um, and I always ask for it because it's really important to know what resonated, what didn't resonate, what people loved or et cetera, et cetera. And I remember looking through, there was a whole pile of stuff. They, they must have sent every single comment from the audience. And, and most of it was absolutely glowing and said, you know, well done. And this was so inspiring. And I had people coming up to me and said, oh, this is marvelous. I'm wow. a medical student. I'm going to do this. And, this. and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's, that's amazing. But there was one person who clearly had got out of bed the wrong way. <laughs> it's always the one that you There's always, always remember. That one person. <laughs> and they, they were quite vitriolic, I have to say, and um, labeled me as nothing more than a medical journalist. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I've, never, I've been called a number of things. I've never been called that before. And I thought, not sure that med- being called a medical journalist is that bad anyway but I came back to Perth and I was a bit sort of hmm, bit flat bit bit and it was all because of this one person's comment yeah. and I spoke with a friend who's also in uh works as a speaker and she said Jenny how many people were in that conference and I told her and she said how many people gave you bad feedback I said one and she said because I, I was saying I don't think I can do this this is this is clearly not for me and she said don't be so selfish. Ah, uh, that was that was her comment to me. She said, "Don't be so selfish. Mm. You have no idea what was going on in that person's head that day. Maybe they'd had a bad night's sleep or something. Maybe they were just in a bad mood. Who knows? Doesn't matter. The rest of the audience really got what you were talking about. You have a very important message to share. Get out and do it. And that gave me permission." Mm. stand proudly in my space ah. I don't expect everybody what a great friend <laughs> yes I no longer expect to have perfect feedback and that's yeah. the other thing about being an entrepreneur sometimes you're always looking for that perfection mm. dangerous mm. Um, if I can influence one person in a positive way I've done my job mm. I have always had the mentality for speaking And I think it came from maybe one of my coaches when I was young. And I've taught, I actually used to teach group fitness at a very young age, 15 years old, I started teaching group fitness. But I think it was until I got into maybe more of the the public speaking side of things where someone said to me, there's always about 10% of the audience that aren't going to love you. And I somehow just do not care about judgment when I'm on that stage. When I walk on that stage, I will just give it 20 million percent. Yeah. 
it is, though, sometimes if I do look at the feedback and there is that one, it's afterwards. But when I'm on the stage, I don't care. No, because you're in service. Yeah, I am there. I'm there to deliver. I'm immersed in the energy and lifting that energy. Though I do know what it's like with the comments afterwards. So even though I have that mentality, you're getting 10% of the audience, you know, just forget about it. I do forget about it. But isn't it amazing that 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 one person's comment can always just be the thing that could tip you off? And thank goodness you had that beautiful friend that snapped you into gear and actually said, don't be so (laughs) selfish. Like what a great reframe that is for the brain, right? You would have loved that, the neuroscience lady. (laughs) Um, Jenny, this has been an awesome conversation. Just actually absolutely love having you on. I do love to finish the show with three questions. Two of them are very much the same. With your travels in life, in business, being a doctor, um, being just an incredible person that continually thrives on just bettering performance in individuals, If there was a piece of advice for the female in the startup phase, I'd love for you to give whatever your experience you want to share with them. And then a piece of advice for the woman that is in that growth phase and she's driving that business. Could you give a piece of advice for both? I think for the person in the startup thing, it's all about self-belief. When you have that rock-solid self-belief in Mm. what you stand for and understand why, it's so darn important, Um, then that is what will get you through because startup is difficult and it doesn't matter what form of startup it is, it's going to be time-consuming, energy-consuming, and there are going to be times when you question your sanity Mm. briefly. And I think the thing that gets you through that is checking back in. What is the real reason that this matters? And if you know why it's so important, that gives you that, that momentum to keep going. And it's about understanding not why it's just important to you as an individual, but why it's important to your audience, your, your clients as well. Why is it so important that they have access to what it is that you are aiming to produce? Mm. Um, because then that builds that bridge of connection. And you know that despite everything, if you know that they are going to benefit then that again, because you're doing it for something that's bigger than yourself and that that contribution piece, that gives you that sense of purpose and, Mm -hmm. again, keeps you going. Mm. And I think tapping into your own special um, source, if you want to call it, what is unique about you? Because we're all unique, we're all different, and I think when you tap into your own individuality and are completely authentic, in what you do, the world's your oyster. Yeah. Because the, the temptation is to compare yourself with other people in your space. And as soon as you do that, you're not being true to yourself. So that's so what I'm much. Saying. Yeah, love that. There's so much comparison these days as well yes. with yes. the amount of Instagram, Facebook. It, it, it's just in your face if you don't know how to manage it. Absolutely. You yes. know, it's, it's for me, I just get on for business now, get on, get off. Because otherwise, 
it, it, you can see what this person's doing, this person's doing, and it stops you knowing where your compass is, where, you're, where you need to point that. I do also want to acknowledge where you said at the very start there where you've really got to, like, own who you are. It was that certainty. You said it's the certainty of who you are, what you're doing. The lack of certainty that you have and not having structure that is exactly why you are finding it hard to build it because you don't have the certainty in what you're actually delivering. Let's talk about this lady that is a seasoned entrepreneur. I do get women that are listening to the show because they're listening for how to continually up-level. They love the education. They absorb themselves in it. They are the high achiever. They're continually wanting this growth. I'd love a piece of advice from your experience in how we can help them either thrive more, get better results, or just a happier life. What sort of comes to you from your experience of that? I think, um, I mean, I'm, I would probably classify myself as one of those people. I'm always looking to learn more stuff because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And the more I learn, the more I can share with, with my clients. But I, it comes a time when you think, how much is enough? Do I need to really keep on pushing myself to this level? And if the answer is, I've got plenty of fuel in my tank and I want to keep doing this for the next five, 10 years, fine. But I think it's important to, to actually plan out where do you see yourself in five, 10 years time? Are you scaling up because you want to go global? In which case, go for it, but do it safely. And the safety piece is about ensuring that you've got enough downtime and playtime mm-hmm. to balance out all that hard work and effort that you're going to be putting in along the way. Sometimes we think that we have to keep going in the belief that that's because that's who we are and what we do. But when you step back and say, well, actually, I've achieved all these things. I don't have to prove anything to anybody else anymore or to myself. And often it's about proving things to ourselves. If you've reached that point, why not allow yourself the the freedom to just enjoy and celebrate what you have done and let others continue on with the journey? I think succession planning is is useful here. Mm -hmm. And I think I've got to that point in my life where I'm thinking I still so love what I do. Um, But I'm now also conscious that where I see myself in five years time is different from where I saw myself in five years time, even two years ago. Yeah. Because then it was like, push, 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 push. Now it's like a bit more chill, a bit more fun, a bit more holiday. Um, because life is to be enjoyed, not endured. And I think that the risk is when you're entrepreneurial and you're good at what you do, mm. you run the risk of making it an endurance to demonstrate to ourselves or to other people of what we're capable of. Mm. Um, but that's not resilience and that's not what's going to actually allow you to be your best self. Yeah, love that. The word play I think is really important because you now have the time to play. If you've been building your business for so long and you've got the success, there needs to be that time where we do play. 
it's really quite interesting. I woke up at, oh, I don't know what time, I think five o'clock this morning and I, my brain was ticking. And the one thing I actually thought of, which really relates to this conversation, I really want to now look at how we're building the business as a retirement plan. Mm. how are we scaling this now? How are we running this to be able to, to drive itself? So then eventually we can retire and retire even early and really start to live life. And mm. just, it, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting with what you were saying then mm. because it was part of the conversation when you're talking about what's the exit strategy or doing a five-year plan. And that's really important because a lot of us don't take the time to do that. We're just looking at the next six weeks, the next nine weeks, and it's 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 not the strategy of really long-term play. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. We haven't had that on the show, so that's awesome. <laughs> I do love to finish the show with this one question. You're going to love it because of oh. what you actually do in your life. <laughs> Being a person that's all about thriving and health and mental health and success while you're being happy. What is the one thing that you do on a very regular basis, preferably at least weekly, if not daily, that you know when you do it, it's a physical activity, something that gets you away from your desk, out of your house, or maybe you might do it in your house as well, physical activity that makes you the happiest version of you. You know when you go to this, it's your your go-to place that makes you the happiest version of you. What would it be? It's something I do every day and it's spending time in nature. Uh I'm fortunate enough to live in a suburb which has access to the beach, fairly close by, and to beautiful bushland. Every day I start my day with time out in nature. That is what feeds my soul, makes me feel calm and at peace and also energises me to know that I'm going to be a better version of myself for the rest of the day because it puts me in my happy space. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and obviously I love the sunshine, but I also love the wind and when it's a bit wild and a bit wet. Um, I love all of that. And nature to me is, is paramount to my health and well-being. Beautiful. What do you do when it rains? When it rains, Get what's wet. your backup plan? You still go out? Uh, well, we have dogs. So yeah. the dog is saying, well, I know there's this wet stuff falling out of the sky, but I need to walk. <laughs> I mean, if it's, <laughs> if it's a tornado, I'm not going to go, right? But if it's, you know, at the moment we're getting you know, intermittent showers and stuff, just put the raincoat on and yes. uh, as long as there's no lightning, I'll, I'll shelter under a tree or a bush or something until it's gone over. And it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a special word that uh, I think it's the Dutch use, and I can't think for the life of me what it is, but it's a special word they have for walking in cold, wet, windy conditions. And it's literally translates into just like blowing the cobwebs out of your mind. And I thought, what a oh, brilliant wow. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reset. Well, Dr. Jenny, it has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and sharing your message. And can't wait to see what else is out there for you. Is there a book five under the belt along the way? or <laughs> Not at the moment, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing who you are, what you do in the world and, and sharing your message today. Thank you so much. And I've really enjoyed our conversation too. 
You're listening to The Herpreneur Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you're the happiest person that you know. I'm out.